Well, hello, Christ Chapel, and welcome to all of you joining us at all of our venues, Internet Campus, West Campus, Converge, South Campus. So glad that you're joining with us as we start a new series today. And we're going to continue to worship, though, first as we take up an offering. So if you'd like to give, you can certainly give online. That's very easy to do. Or you can text in the code on the screen or you can drop in a physical offering into one of the boxes outside of your worship venue. But thank you so much for those of you who are giving, you're giving to Kingdom Causes that is making an eternal difference in our world and in our community. But I hope you felt the change in weather already. This change for fall has, is definitely welcomed, but with the coming of fall, I've realized is the coming of certain types of foods and you might recognize this, that we have this weird association with uh, weather and food. And when the weather changes, we're like, you know, I want some butternut squash soup all of a sudden. You know, we get these weird cravings. And sometimes, you know, those are, those are good associations that many people have. Uh, reminds us of good experiences, good memories that we've had. For instance, if, if we talk about a corn dog, then many people go to what in their mind? The fair, the state fair, they go there and they're like, oh yeah, the rides, the funnel cakes, the corn dogs, all those wonderful, wonderful things. For me, one of my fall foods that I associate with are nachos, and not just any kind of nachos. I'm talking about the dirty nachos, the Rico cheese nachos that come in the little, you know, white and red boats at the football games, the high school football games. That's what I think of when, when I think of fall. And of course, you can't be in fall and not hear about pumpkin spice everything. Uh, it, it doesn't matter what it is, pumpkin spice toothpaste. They've got it in pumpkin spice. But we have these associations with, with foods and it makes us think of great memories that we have or memories even that we've shared with other people. And I bring that up because I wonder what comes to our minds when we think of the Last Supper. What are the emotions that come to our hearts? What are the memories that come to our mind? What are those experiences that we're taken back to? And as I was thinking about that, I, I honestly didn't know if I could really answer that question myself. And so that's why we're going to start a new series that is centered around that table where the Lord shared the Last Supper with his disciples. Because I think if we can spend some time there and we center ourselves around the table, around the food that was shared there, then it will elicit emotions in us that are warm that are meant to draw us in, that are meant to remind us of who Jesus calls us to be because of who he is to each one of us. So if you will, open your Bibles to John chapter 13, please. John chapter 13, we're gonna begin a new series called Poured Out, centered around this upper room discourse. And I told you, we're gonna spend the next 15 months where we're taking an in-depth look at Jesus. And what we're gonna do with this series is essentially start with the end in mind. I was taught that in teaching and preaching is always start with the end in mind. If you're gonna teach something, where do you want to go? Well, we're gonna start with the end of what Jesus does to pour out his heart to his disciples at essentially his last meal before he is 
resurrected and glorified. So what does he tell them? How does he pour his heart out to them in this very intimate setting around a table where he's sharing this Passover meal? And he's gonna pour out his heart to his disciples to not only tell them of his purpose in the world, but ultimately his love for them. This is a very intimate setting where he tells them in so many different ways of I love you. And if we're going to embody Jesus's heart as we talked about in our vision message, embody his heart so that we can reach those who don't know Jesus in our own backyard by being his disciples, then we've got to have his heart poured into ours. That's the only way we're gonna embody the heart of Jesus. So that's why we're gonna take this in-depth look at the upper room discourse to catch his heart and him to pour out his love into our own hearts because that's actually what he was doing in this upper room discourse with his disciples was pouring out his love for them. He says that in verse one of chapter 13. He says, now before the feast of the Passover, which I know we just shared the Lord's Supper together, which is a, a representation of that. When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that phrase. He loved them to the end. That phrase sets up everything that he's about to tell them in the upper room discourse, every way that he's going to interact with them. It's to love them to the end. This is obviously the disciple John looking back at his time with Jesus, understanding after he experienced this writing down all the things that he had been told, all the things that he experienced in this upper room to show that Jesus loved him until the very end, the end of his earthly life until he was resurrected and therefore ascended. So Jesus is pouring out his heart to his disciples in this upper room. It was the Passover meal. Remember, they would come, Jews would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, which was an annual feast that celebrated their uh, basically freedom out of uh, Egypt when they were enslaved, remember? And the last plague was the the death of the firstborn, where the spirit of death came over and they were supposed to put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost so that it would pass over their household. By faith in that blood that they put there, death would pass over. So that was what they were representing. And Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. So this is gonna take on a lot of significance as he celebrates this with them. But remember, they're not from Jerusalem. They're coming to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast, but they're not from there. So they have to rent a room. This is like, we don't have a place to celebrate the Passover feast, so we need a place to go. And so they rent this upper room, which would have probably been in the upper room of a house that somebody allows them to use so that they can celebrate this Passover feast together, but it was one they did not own. And it's, this is the context in which Jesus begins to pour out his heart to them where he loves them to the end. And the first way he does it is by serving. He does it by serving them. And so what I would like to do is show you the aspects of how Jesus serves his disciples 
in this upper room. There, it's a very unique way that stands out. Uh, it would have been very unexpected for him to serve them in this way. And then I wanna give you some ways that we can apply this in our own lives as we embody the heart of Jesus to reach those in our own backyard. So let's look at verses three and four. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he would come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. You see, before we get to the meal, there was something that needed to happen before. Now, all, all good parents here, if I were to ask you, uh, what are kids supposed to do? What do you make your kids do before a meal? You would tell me, wash your hands, exactly. Man, you guys are on today, I love it. Wash your hands. You, you want them to get clean before they start eating and that totally makes sense. But there was something that they needed to do, which was to wash, but it was a little bit different than just washing their hands. And see, you've got to understand what that different thing is because you've got to understand what the Last Supper setup looked like. You see, when we think of the Last Supper, oftentimes we think of da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper. You know, it's this huge long table where all the disciples sit on one side like they're all watching a movie while they eat. You know, like it's movie tavern or something. But that is not the case. Great way to catch all of their faces. But instead, the Last Supper actually, if you put it back in those contexts, many, what they probably would have done is would have been reclining. And this makes sense for those of you who know the Upper Room Discourse and you look further on when John talks about those who, the one who reclined into Jesus' chest, the one who leaned into him. It's because that's how they eat. In fact, in the Middle East today, they still sit on cushions like that. They don't usually or typically sit in chairs. And so it's a reclining at a table. So that means your feet are rubbing on somebody else. It, it's really close. And so what they would do is not just wash their hands, but they would wash their feet so that they could eat. Because remember, they're walking around in leather sandals all day long. Their feet are dusty, and I don't think they wore socks with sandals. But they, and I don't think you should either, okay? <laughs> but their feet are getting dirty. And so they need to wash their feet so they, they don't, don't get dirty on everybody else. And Jesus does something that is very unexpected here. You see, Jesus served his disciples by doing what he wasn't supposed to do. Jesus served his disciples by doing something he wasn't supposed to do. See, the, there was supposed to be a servant there who would wash those guests' feet before they ate their meal. There was supposed to be a servant there. It shouldn't have been Jesus' job to do this for a couple of reasons. First, remember, Jesus is a rabbi in that day. And a rabbi was always served by the ones who followed him. The disciples would all, were supposed to always serve. It doesn't matter if it was Jesus as a rabbi or another rabbi in Israel of those days. The disciples always honored them, always tried to serve them, always put them in a position of honor. 
For someone to wash the feet, that's the role of a slave or a servant of that day. Jesus wasn't supposed to do that. That, those are the external reasons, but even think about the internal reasons that Jesus has that, hey, this is not my idea. If you look back at it, it says in verses three and four, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, this is the ruler of the universe, and he knows it. He knows it, all things given into his hands, and that he would come from God and was going back to God. He knew his destiny. Do you know where I'm going? They don't, but he knows where he's going. He laid aside his outer garments, taking the towel, and he ties it around his waist. He lays aside his outer garments to serve them by doing something he personally wasn't supposed to do. And why was he doing that? because it was something that nobody wanted to do. See, Jesus served his disciples by doing what no one else wanted to do. The disciples walking in that room, everyone expected it was somebody else's job. It's somebody else's job to wash my feet. There should be a servant here. There should be a slave. In fact, most of the time that was provided, that, that person, that servant was provided by whoever the owner of the house was. But remember, this is a rented room. There, there wasn't somebody necessarily provided for this particular meal because the family who maybe owned that, that house where they were renting it from had their own Passover meal at that time. They had their own servants serving but the disciples walk in and they don't want to wash anybody's feet. I mean, who volunteers for that? Nobody wanted to do this. And you might say, well, Cody, did they actually have the opportunity to do this? Yeah, they, they probably did. You see, what was common in those days was that in those rooms or wherever you were eating, there would be a towel and a basin that would have been set usually by the entryway so that the feet could be washed before you went in to go and eat. Now, this is a picture that obviously I don't, we don't know exactly what it looked like, but a picture of what it could have looked like during the time in the upper room. And it's hard to tell where that would be for us today because we're not used to seeing a towel and basin uh, you know, going into our dining rooms or living rooms or whatnot. But it's over there right in the corner. But see, what would have been discreet to us would have been obvious to them. They would have walked right by it. Why? Because they didn't expect that it would be them to wash anybody's feet. And they didn't want to do it. You don't want to wash anybody's nasty, dirty feet. So why does Jesus serve? Because no one else wanted to. The disciples, they weren't thinking about washing people's feet. They were thinking about something totally different. In fact, in a corollary passage in Luke chapter 22, we know what the disciples had on their minds during this Last Supper. In Luke chapter 22, it says that during the Last Supper, a dispute arose among the disciples as to who would be the greatest in the coming kingdom. They begin to fight and bicker with each other about who's going to be the greatest. 
I'm gonna be the greatest. No, I'm gonna be the greatest. I wanna sit at Jesus' right hand. No, I wanna sit there. That's what they think because, and Jesus is talking about a, a coming kingdom. It's just the way that it's going to come is through his death, burial, and resurrection. It's not gonna come through an insurrection that Jesus was going to lead. And so they've got who's gonna be the greatest, who's gonna sit in glory, who's gonna sit in power. So the last thing on their mind is who's gonna wash the feet. It's who's gonna wash my feet. And they might even be saying that to each other. I'm gonna say, you're gonna wash my feet. No, you're gonna wash my feet. I mean, this, this is what my two boys argue about, you know? It's I'm better than you. And that's what was on the disciples' minds. And in that context, as they argue and bicker with one another, verse five tells us that then Jesus poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You see, what I love about just that verse in particular is that Jesus didn't just take the form of a servant. He actually followed through. And sometimes we can take this, this, this kind of humble brag posture that just gives us the appearance that we're humble, that we, whoa, whoa, oh, I was just about to do that. But we don't follow through. And Jesus follows through. And the reason why he follows through is because in that moment, Jesus served his disciples by doing what no one else could do. And I know you're thinking, hold on, Cody, you just told me the disciples walked by the basin, left it for someone else to do, and they could have. Yeah, but what Jesus was doing, the reason why he was doing this is because he was highlighting something that only he could do for them. See, this physical act of washing their feet represented what he could do for them spiritually. And he goes into this in verses six through eight. He says, he came to Simon Peter as he's washing their feet. And Simon says to him, Lord, are you really gonna wash my feet? Not, not you, but Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, no, 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 no. You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, well, if I don't wash you, then you have no share with me. See, Peter begins to almost argue with Jesus here that no, 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 Jesus, this is beneath you. Don't, don't do this. And really it was for a rabbi or teacher of that day. And so he says, don't do this. And he says, look, if I don't wash you, you're not gonna have any part in me. And so the physical act has a spiritual correlation where Jesus is saying, if I don't wash you clean of your sins by my atoning work on the cross that is to come, then you're gonna have no part in me. And that's why he tells him, you don't under understand what I'm doing right now, but you're gonna understand in a little while. And that's what he's telling him. You've got to be cleansed by me. You have to, if you don't, you're not gonna have any part in me. You see, that's what Jesus does for those who are his disciples, and that includes you and me today. By grace through faith, we put our trust in Jesus' atoning work on the cross that he can, and he alone can cleanse us from our sins. 
It's the only way that we can have fellowship with him or commune with him at the table. There's no other way. He has to wash us so that we can have fellowship with him. That's the physical act that has a spiritual correlation. You see, Jesus wants to cleanse us of our sins. And I love this picture because when you think about it, it's not just cleansing us. Where does the dirt go? It goes on to Jesus. That's where it goes. This is what happens on the cross. Our sins, he takes on our sins. Our dirt, our sin goes on to him. And he pays for it in full when he dies on the cross for our sins. And we are made clean by grace through faith in Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection when we place our faith in him. But Jesus cleanses us and gives us association or fellowship or relationship with him. Why? So that we can represent him and so that we can be cleansed so that he can shine clearly through us. That's what he says in verses 12 to 17. Look at it. He says, when he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and he resumed his place. I mean, there's so many layers to this and you think about how Jesus resumes his place. He came from the Father knowing he was going back to the Father. Remember we just read that? He resumes his place after he serves. And he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Man, I would not want to answer that question. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for I am so. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. You see, if you have been served by the Savior, then you are called to serve like the Savior. If you have been served by the Savior, cleansed and washed by your sins, now having fellowship and a relationship with our holy God through our Savior, Jesus Christ, you are called to represent him and to serve like him because he has set an example for us. Nothing was beneath him and nothing is beneath us. And so what I'd like to do is just give you a, a few examples of what that can look like for you in your own life as you serve as unto the Lord. And I just wanna say, say this, where I hope that we go, if, if we are going to reach those in our own backyard, this kind of service is gonna have to be personal and individual. And it's not that we can't all put on the same color t-shirts and go out and do a big service project. We can do that and that would be great. But folks, we don't know what is ahead and in the future in our world. And remember, there was a time that we just went through that everybody wants to quickly forget where we were all behind our own doors and we couldn't come together and all put on the same color t-shirts and go out and serve in mass. But what we had to do was go and represent Jesus to our friends and neighbors and those that we could individually. And those were the ones who needed help. Those were the ones that we could serve. And that's what we've got to continue to get to is us individually taking on the responsibility to walk with Jesus ourselves. 
And that's okay. We are a fellowship and we are gonna support one another. But you've gotta take responsibility for your own spiritual walk and represent Jesus yourself. And he's filled you with the Holy Spirit. He's cleansed you to be able to represent him. You can do it. And so these are very individualistic, in a sense, ways where you can serve Christ as his disciple yourself. And so I wanna walk through just three very quick ways that take the example of Jesus, but then applies it to our own lives. So first, seek to serve the undeserving in sacrificial ways. Seek to serve the undeserving in sacrificial ways. I think we understand, and I hope you understand by the exposition that we've just done, how undeserving the disciples were of Jesus' service to them. And we understand how undeserving we are that a holy God would send his sinless son to die for us while we were yet sinners. That we, we are undeserving for what Christ has given to us. And so can we seek to serve the undeserving in sacrificial ways. You know, as I thought about this application for myself, here's the, the aha that I had, is that oftentimes when I serve, I will serve people that want to change. Does that make sense? Like, I, I go, I'll do this for you, but I want you to understand you need to change, or you need to do this yourself. Let me give you a, an example. An example from home. I know that uh, our boys are, are younger. Uh, they're five and nine. And they certainly need to understand responsibility and understand how to take care of themselves and clean up their own messes and all those kinds of things. Um, but that's what I wanna do. I wanna serve them once so that they understand, but then I don't wanna serve them twice. If I show them how to clean up their room, I go, here's how you do it, and I'm not doing it again. Now it's your responsibility. And what I realize is, how many times has Jesus served me? Like, he doesn't just show me once. How many second, third, fourth chances do I get? You see, sometimes when we serve, we think about changing someone else, when service sometimes is meant only to change us give you an example from home again. I, uh, I was walking through our living room and on the floor I could tell just by the way that the light was hitting it, there was this big sticky spot. Something had been spilled. A Coke, a peanut butter and honey sandwich had fallen on the floor. I don't know what it was, who knows. But there's this huge sticky spot on our floor. And I'm walking by there and I go, okay, Either I made that, Jen made that, or one of the boys. Probably one of the boys. So I thought what I would usually do is I would call them and I would say, would you get down here and go get the 409, go get some paper towels and you come, come and clean up your mess. And I thought, you know what? No, I'm not gonna do that. I'm just, now this is, just real fast. This is the only time I've gotten this right, all right? Okay. <laughs> But I go and I get the 409 and I go get the um, paper towels and stuff and I start cleaning it. 
And it became very worshipful for me. This is, I know this is silly. It is. But it became very worshipful for me as I'm sitting there cleaning that up. And I just had this thought where Jesus is like, how many times have I done this for you? Where I've cleaned up a mess for you that you didn't even know that you made. I didn't call you back. I didn't say, shame on you. You should clean up your own mess. You shouldn't have done this. And I'm like, ah, that changes me. Does it change the boys? Well, I hope. But changing them isn't necessarily my responsibility. That's the Lord's. And certainly I can train them up in the way they should go. Yes. But sometimes when we serve, we serve with the expectation of I'll serve you once and then you better change. But we go, man, when we serve the undeserving in sacrificial ways, sometimes it changes us and draws us in closer to Jesus because we realize how he has served us, the undeserving, in sacrificial ways. Sometimes service is meant to change you and that's why you serve. You become more like him. Second, seek to serve in unexpected ways as nothing is beneath you. Seek to serve in unexpected ways as nothing is beneath you. You know, what gets our attention in our world today is when somebody does something unexpected. And we know that. You have an expectation of what people will do or not do. And when they exceed that expectation, that grabs your attention. And that grabs our attention when we read this here because, I mean, wouldn't we say the same thing to Jesus that Peter did? I mean, we make fun of the disciple all the time because we think he has a big mouth and he's impulsive and quick to act. But wouldn't I say the same thing? If Jesus came to wash my feet, I would go, no, 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 you're not supposed to do that. Which, by the way, if you've, ever, have you, if you've never had your feet washed, it is the most humbling experience ever. I would much rather and have washed people's feet before. Much rather do that than have my feet washed. And now the Savior is going to come and do that to me. Incredibly humbling. But nothing was beneath him. And so, therefore, there, nothing should be beneath us. Those are the things that become unexpected. I remember this was within the first month that I came to work at Christ Chapel almost 15 years ago now. And uh, I was walking through the hall and way ahead of me, he did not know that I was behind him, uh, our COO, COO in charge of all facilities, Rick Neves, wonderful godly man, love him to death, um, was walking down the hall and I saw him stop because there was a piece of trash on the floor. And he picked it up and put it in the trash. And I remember thinking, that's not his job. Like, he's the COO. He's supposed to be over all these big, important things. But what gets our attention is when people serve in unexpected ways, to the point where I haven't forgotten that. That was a long time ago. And it set an example for me that now, I treat this place as if it's my own house. If I see a piece of trash, you pick it up. It's not beneath us. We are lucky to be, I am, and thank you for allowing me to serve here. I am lucky, I am blessed, I am privileged to be able to serve here. 
And it doesn't matter what I get to do. I'm just thankful to be here and to serve here. I, I, I will clean toilets. I'll do whatever. We just want to be a part of what Jesus has called us to. And he would. He'd pick up the trash. He'd do those things. Nothing is, was beneath him. Therefore, nothing is beneath us. And finally, seek to serve in unique ways that seize the moment. Seek to serve in unique ways that seize the moment. You know, when you think about this upper room, whoever was going to wash the feet was in that room. It was up to them. And Jesus takes the initiative and seizes that moment. Christ Chapel, there are gonna be places as we pray and our prayer emphasis comes out, you'll get a text tomorrow morning of God, give us the eyes to see those opportunities that are in front of us, that are unique opportunities because God has placed you there for a specific reason and a particular purpose. Don't walk by the basin. Seize the opportunity because he's put you there with particular gifts and if not you, then who? If you don't do it, then who's gonna do it? And say, man, my savior would step into that. So why wouldn't I? You see, the way that he ends this in verse 17 is, you're blessed not if you just know this, but you're blessed if you do this, if you follow his example. In verse 17, that's how, what he tells his disciples. After he says, I have set an example for you. And he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That blessed means happy. See, we think happiness comes by being served, and Jesus says, no, happiness comes by serving others, by seeing the joy that comes in their life, by being able to represent the Savior because we've been cleansed and served by him. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word, and thank you for the incredibly humble and vulnerable example that Jesus gives us where he stripped himself of all dignity, respect that was due not only to him as a rabbi and a teacher, but as the God of the universe who had all authority that had been given to him. Lord Jesus, give us the eyes to see those opportunities Give us a nearness to you to understand how you would act in those certain ways. And give us the faith to act knowing that we're blessed not just to know these things and read these things, but we're blessed if we do these things and represent you. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.